Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey everyone, it's Andy Bueller, high school sports reporter and host of the Scorebook Live Today podcast. So the coronavirus has shut down schools and halted high school sports, but we're taking things up a notch in hopes to help during this time of great uncertainty. Each day we're releasing a special episode of this podcast called Dickow's Quarantine Series, where our own Dan Dickow interviews an expert in their respective field from coaches to trainers, authors to uh, former standout athletes. Subscribe to this podcast for free. And please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Let's keep everyone safe by washing your hands and following the governor's stay-at-home mandate. We're just as excited for high school sports to return as you are. Dan Dickow, Scorebook Live, Washington. Today with our podcast... During these uncertain times across the nation and our world, we are releasing a quarantine series with a unique special guest each day and someone with experience uh, in the sports world. Today, we've got someone with uh, a tremendous amount of experience from the state of Washington, graduated Newport High School in the early 90s, uh, Pac-10 freshman of the year at the University of Washington, played there for two years before transferring to Kentucky before there was a lot of transferring in college basketball, won a national title with the Wildcats, played in the NBA for some time. Now he's one of the hot up-and-coming head coaches in all of college basketball. That's none other than BYU's head coach, Mark Pope. Mark joins us from Provo, Utah today. Mark, how goes it? Good, man. Dan, it's so good to be on with you, brother. Well, I appreciate you joining. I know uh, coordinating times with, with a lot of different people is difficult. And I know for somebody who, like yourself who would typically be in the, the, the midst of recruiting, uh, planning spring workouts for the guys, keeping up on their grades, how has this downtime been for you and your family? Um, it is, uh, well, I, I don't know. I'm not sure how to answer that politically correctly because the truth is like we're in this pandemic, it's terrible uh my guys lost a chance to play in the postseason for the first time in a, in in five years and the first time in their careers and uh, uh epic season on our part was cut short and and certainly all that pales in, in comparison to the the um loss of life and 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 actual the the uh economic distress that everybody is suffering through right now and and so i recognize all those things like this is really 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 heavy but if you ask me just about my tiny little slice of, of um, the last few weeks, uh, you know, we're working really hard, but, but being at home, like I've seen my uh, bride, Leanne, my favorite person in the entire world, more than I did since we were dating, like before we were married. And so for us, it's been like a renaissance of, of uh, this relationship, which has been so awesome, man. Like I, I mean, I know I, I get the whole big picture thing, but in my little tiny slice, that's been the best part of this. I've had time with, with Leanne and, and my daughters. Um, and then it turned on the work front, it's just different, right? So, you know, right now, you know, one of the things that I think is so important about recruiting is, is getting face-to-face -face time where you can be in a recruit's home and be in his gym and be with his team and, 
and see him in his setting and then for him to come on campus and really be able to take in and get a sense of what it is that we're talking about. And so we're trying to find every creative way we can to approximate that the best we can as, as we're recruiting. And it's been really interesting. So we're doing the best we can to press forward. And, and the, 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 the really good coaches right now are going to find a way to do this really well. And they're going to get a leg up on everybody else. And that's what we're all racing for. You know, you mentioned the term slow down. Uh, you know, I think in, in this crazy time uh, leading up to this pandemic, the world never seems to slow down business people, athletes, coaches, whatever, you never really have a time and a chance to sit there and, and recognize the moment you're in and reflect and enjoy it. You then also mentioned your BYU group. I had a chance to broadcast you guys a number of times this year, um, and I was impressed. The way that you guys played uh, in particular on the offensive floor, uh, I know you guys beat Gonzaga uh, at your place towards the end of the year. I felt that you guys were one of those teams that, honestly had a chance to surprise a lot of people in the NCAA tournament. Um, did you feel the same? And then how disappointing or how did you share that message with the guys that, hey, we had an amazing season, but unfortunately we can't keep going? Well, you know, every, every, every uh, coach in America is talking about how they would have just run the table in the tournament, right? That's, that's the beauty of it. I think, I think guys are going to, you know, in a year they're going to go in for contract negotiations and be like, bro, we would have been in the final four. But um, I do think we had a really good team. You know, we were the number one or two or three most efficient offense in the country, depending on what metric you used. And um, we had a, uh, attack, an inside-out attack that was really uh, perplexing for teams to figure out. You kind of had to pick your poison. And, and uh, we had a whole host of veteran guys, um, uh, senior guys that uh, not only um, had a ton of experience, but also um, were so hungry to finally get into that tournament. This was not like a normal experience for our guys. It was the first time this group had ever been ranked. It was the first time, you know, the best seed we would have had uh, in a decade. Um, and and uh, we had won, you know, nine games in a row to close the season. And then we lost a game by one point in the, in the WCC tournament, which as painful as it was, you know, afterwards I told the team, I'm like, hey, this is why we're going to make a deep run is because we're playing great basketball right now. But we hadn't lost in six in six weeks, and sometimes it's really scary to go in that tournament when you haven't lost in a long time because you just need to be tuned up and sharpened a little bit. So I felt like the lead up to the tournament was perfect for us. Um, for the first time, actually, on that Thursday game, it would have been the first time all season long that we had a, a complete roster. Uh, Dalton Nixon was going to get back from that broken leg and. And so that, that was super exciting for us. We've been kind of like, we had such the, the suspensions and the injuries, we just never had a full roster. So that was really exciting to us. And so all those things, you know, the number one three-point shooting team in America, we had a lot of things cooking for us. Um, and so, and, and the best thing was just these guys were so hungry. They were starving. Like this was their life. They had worked for this for their entire life and they'd fallen short for four and five years, right? And they finally got it. And so um, 
we actually were uh, in the film room. We had just, we had done like a four slide presentation, education on the coronavirus. And then uh, we were, we were watching uh, some edits. Uh, they were, we, our guys were taped and dressed and we we're going to go out on the practice floor, watch some edits pre-practice when uh, Cody Feger, my assistant, uh, kind of waved his phone in the air and showed me that they, they had announced that the, the tournament was canceled. And it was the, it was actually probably the worst room I've ever been in. Like uh, my guys were just, they just, just ripped their hearts out. And again, I understand the context of this whole thing, but just in our tiny little slice of, of what these guys had worked for for so long. So there was a lot of tears. There was a lot of really uh, hollow uh, uh, silence. Um, it, it was it was a it was a bad room. Um, um, and since then, you know, our guys do what athletes do, right? They're they're trained. They're world class trained to kind of take disappointment and get back up off the mat and chase it. And I got four seniors now that are all going to be pros at, at different levels and all chase successful careers. And they're in the process. You know, in fact, they've all uh, made commitments now to, to agents, to representation, and they're racing ahead. And, and all the guys that are coming back are hungrier than they've ever been. And they're trying to get the team together on their own and do virtual Zoom bodyweight workouts. And, you know, that, that's, been our, that's been our coronavirus experience in terms of how it's related to our basketball. You mentioned – four seniors on your team moving on to, to prepare to play at the next level in, in some way or at some level or another. You had a chance to play at a number of different levels. Uh, six years, I believe, in the NBA um, in a number of different roles. Started at times, came off the bench at times. Like myself, you were kind of maybe the end guy at the end of the bench, unfortunately wanting to get that time, always having to stay, to stay prepared. During your time as a player, was there one teammate that stood out to you as, as being an unbelievable player as far as his work ethic, his preparation, his attention to detail? And then have you used those lessons about watching that player as a coach? Well, I was fortunate. You know, I, I wasn't a good I – was, I, was, I was such a bad player that the only teams I had a chance to actually be on were great teams with great players. They didn't need me, so they could just sit me down there, right? Uh, but but my first two years, and I played with great, I mean, unbelievable players, Ray Allen and Glenn Robinson, just a whole host of guys. But my first two years in the league, I had the really extraordinary opportunity to watch Reggie Miller work every single day. Uh, to me, he is the definition of a pro. Um, you know, I was <clears throat> barely scratching and clawing just to stay alive on a roster. So, you know, you had a year or two where you – you were hanging in there and then you had some time where you were starring. Right. But, but, um, uh, you know, so my summer was so intense and so rigorous in terms of, uh, prepping for camp and getting myself in shape and trying to grow my game. And it, it, my whole life was going to be determined by what happened in that month long kind of training camp preseason. And so I spent the whole, the whole summer just crushing it as hard as I could in the gym two or three times a day. And you know that there's one guy on that Pacers team, and it was a great team, the Eastern Conference Finals team, uh, where you had guys like Chris Mullen and Rick Smith and Dale Antonio Davis and Jalen Rose, and uh, you know you just go to Mark Jackson, and the one guy that was in the gym every day with me was Reggie Miller. I mean, go figure. You know, Reggie Miller also already uh, the three-point leader in the history of, of the NBA at the time, uh, ten-year vet multiple, multiple time all-star 
and this cat is in the gym with me every day. Um, it's just, it was, it was, it was incredible to watch him work and prepare. I'll never forget one of the, one of the great moments for me. And, you know, in, in that league, um, you know, the grind of games, a lot of guys kind of have a little sore ankle or whatever, sit out of practice. Uh, and Reggie uh, developed such an amazing culture on that team. We had a game uh, at home. Uh, so we, we had a game at home, a day off, and then another game at home. And uh, nobody ever sat out practice with the Pacers. Like, Reggie wouldn't have it. And so Dale Davis in the first quarter had gone down really bad with a bad ankle sprain. And so, so he comes in the next morning to practice, and uh, David Craig, our trainer, has him over on the sideline on the bike and kind of doing some other stuff. And we start, we start actually uh, just doing a little bit of up and down, uh, down one-way dummy and then live playback. And every single possession, as Reggie ran down the floor, he was shouting expletives at Dale Davis about how soft he was. And you talk about a pro's pro, about a leader's leader, about a guy who um, just, it was such a gift for me to be able to learn what the NBA was supposed to be by watching him. This is Reggie Miller really special to me. I, I love hearing stories about that, running up and down the floor, kind of giving a jab to a teammate. I, I have a quick Reggie Miller story too. I believe it would have been my second year in the league. So I was with Atlanta playing uh, on the road at Indiana. And exactly what you talked about before the game, it's Reggie Miller. So I took a cab. It would have been about 40 minutes before the rest of the team to get up shots. Because as you know, if you're not getting minutes and you want to prove to the coaching staff, you want to stay sharp, you go get your extra work in addition to what everyone else is doing. So it must have been a 7 o'clock, 7.30 tip. So I get to the arena about 3.30, 4 o'clock, somewhere in there. Reggie Miller is full-on drenched in sweat, almost finishing his workout. So I start getting warmed up on the end of the floor with my form shooting and this, that, and the other. And I remember him afterwards, he finished up. He just walked over to me really quickly, and he said, Dan, I appreciate you coming here early. That's the mark of a true pro. And those were, that was really the only kind of, uh, you know, correspondence conversation I ever had with Reggie Miller. Um, but it's little things like that from guys that were at the next level that kind of kept driving me as a player like, hey, you know what, if I just keep hanging in there, I keep working at it, if I stay ready for an opportunity, good things are going to happen. So I love that, that, that story about Reggie Miller you tell. Hey, so listen, this, this last dance, you know, started up. So just in honor of Reggie. So this last, this year now was – was the year that Indiana and Chicago played in the Eastern Conference Finals to a game seven. It was one of the epic series of all time. And Reggie had huge, huge shots. Of course, Mike had huge, huge shots. I assume that they'll detail, chronicle that as we go on. So, you know, this is, is, is my rookie season. And you remember your rookie year, it seems like it's 10 seasons. It seemed like it lasted forever. And every moment is so intense. And uh, you know, we were on that Pacer team. We were really good, and we won a boatload of games. And Reggie just made game winner after game winner. So I'll never forget. Um, so I, as a rookie, I had to come early and bring papers and bring donuts, make sure the locker room was all right. I mean, that was the the, the glamour of my job. And so I would always get there, you know, a good ninety minutes early before practice. And so I'll never forget. We finished our last regular season game. And I walk in the locker room with my stuff, and sure enough, Reggie Miller 
90 minutes before the game is before practice, our first practice prepping for the playoffs is sitting in the corner in his locker and he's just sitting down with his hands on his knees and he's looking straight ahead and he's just rocking back and forth. Just like he doesn't even notice me walking a room. And so I set all my stuff down and walked out and he never, he never stopped. And you just think about how badly he wanted to win and how important this game was to him and how important it was to honor this game. Again, like we could probably share 10 more stories about him and other great pros, but it was sure fun to learn from those guys. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the focus of the great ones uh, is something to behold. That's for sure. Wanted to get into your coaching journey now because you played for a tremendous amount of really good coaches in the NBA. George Carl, Rick Carlisle, I believe Larry Bird, if I'm not mistaken. But you took a different path when you were done playing and you went to medical school before you came back to coaching. How in the world does somebody go from medical school? Nah, I'm going to go back to basketball and coach because you're a really smart guy. What, what, what was the path like for that? Well, you got to be colossally stupid to do something like that, man. Uh, so it was interesting because, because, you know, I played in the, I was in the NBA for seven seasons and played a couple years overseas. And, and uh, every single day of my tenure as a professional player was like, I was, I was one day closer to getting fired. Like I was, I was so bad. I say this all the time. I was the worst player ever to wear a Jerry West. And I'm really proud of that, by the way. Um, and so, but, but just from the first day I stepped on the court of the NBA, I was like, I'm getting fired tomorrow. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to get a job in this deal. So what am I going to do after? And so uh, we kind of bounced around thinking of trying to consider things and, and ultimately maybe five or six years into the league, we started, we kind of settled on this idea going back to medical school. So I had to go back and take a bunch of post-bat classes. So, um, you know, I was at, when I was at the Knicks, I was taking class at NYU and Columbia. When I was with the Bucks, I was taking class at Marquette. And when I was with the Nuggets, I was taking classes at, at uh, uh, Colorado, Denver. And, um, and uh, so, and it was just actually in a weird way, you know how that league is, right? Your life is so noisy and it's just so frantic. And it was so incredibly therapeutic for me to just sit down with the, in, a, in, a, in a quiet hotel room with my books open, like trying to figure out what's going on with this organic chemistry, right? Um, it, was, it, was, it was actually, and, and I actually had my best years um, playing in the league uh when i was taking classes it was super therapeutic so we finished we go to medical school it took me about a year to realize i'm just not that smart i'm gonna kill a lot more patients than i save and uh but but mostly i just started i just missed the game i miss being in the locker room i miss being around the emotion of it i miss being around the like the 100 laser focus dedication to that mission that you share with the team and um, I missed the journey and the saga of a season and, and uh, everything that went with it. And, and so <clears throat> after my first year in medical, I started having some casual conversations with coaches, my, you know, my mentors, guys that I played for. And they were all like, don't coach, man. Don't coach. Stay in medical school. Coach Fuse so, told me the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I, uh, so I stayed in and I was about to start my fourth year. A medical school and Foxy 
who had been a GA uh, when I played at the University of Washington my first years in college. He got the job at Georgia. And he's, he's been like, he's been my mentor's mentor in this game. Um, and I've known him for, what, 25 years now. He's been a dear friend. And so he's like, hey, if you're serious about this, now is the time. And so Leanne and I uh, struggled with it for about a month, like really, really hard decision. And then uh, I walked in and told Dean Melman, I mean, Columbia University is, is one of the top three medical schools in the world, right? I walked in and told Dean Melman, walked in and said, hey, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go uh, take an assistant operations job, handing out towels and water at the University of Georgia for their men's basketball program. And she was like, you've lost your freaking mind. She was so great and uh, jumped in a car and drove down there and, and uh, got, got on the court the first day I got there. He was running, the coach was running a league camp. And it was about two hours in and it was just like, this is what I was born to do, man. This is, this is what I'm spending the rest of my life doing. And every day since, w good days and bad days, there's been zero doubt in my mind how much I love this and it's just what I, it's what I was meant to do. So that's obviously a unique path to get into the coaching world. What kind of advice would you give to whether it's a young high school player who wants to be a coach when they're done playing or maybe a high school coach who wants to try their hand at the college ranks? What would that advice be? Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I give the exact same advice that, that I got. And, and, and what I mean is this, is that um, – Unless if, 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 if there's anything else you can do, probably go do it. But if your heart's in a place where there's just nothing else in the world that you want to do, where you can find the passion that you can in coaching, that's probably the only way you should go into it because it's a brutal business. Um, it's incredibly unpredictable. Uh, sometimes, you know, unfortunately, great work does not get rewarded. Um, and, and it's also, you know, it's, it's, it's brutal on families and it's, it's, uh, you know, you, you, you literally don't know what's going to happen one day to the next in terms of there's no job security. There's nothing like that. Now, with all that said, if you're, if you're that messed up that you're wired where what you were born to do and what you want to do is coach more than anything, there is no greater profession in the world. It is, it is the most rewarding work to be able to be in a locker room with these young men who are chasing their dreams with everything they have, that are putting their whole heart and soul, that are jumping in the arena and, and putting their reputation and everything else online as they try and like realize this dream that you got to realize, right? Which is so like, it, it, it almost makes you scared to even say the words out loud, right? Because it's so big and it's so difficult. And to get to, you know, witness and shepherd these guys on this journey. I, I, like, I can't imagine doing anything else. It's the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, I, I love it. And, you know, there was a part of me at one time that I thought I was going to get into coaching, uh, but I've settled on probably the second best post-playing career, and that's being involved in the broadcast world. Because for me hey, – Dan, Dan, listen to me right now. It's not too late, bro. I'm telling you. <laughs> I didn't start coaching until I was 38. So, so I'm 41 now, so yeah, maybe maybe there is 
Here's my deal. You, you made your money in the league. You're making big money broadcasting. But in a year or two, man, I'm going to call you, and you got to come jump on his staff, and let's go, baby. <laughs> well, you know, I will, I will never say no to an opportunity uh, until I've heard everything. That's for sure. But, you know, the one positive in the broadcast world that I have is when a game's over, it's over for me. I don't have to go back, watch the film, second-guess my decisions on rotations or – you know, a play call down the stretch. The only thing I get frustrated about would be I mispronounced that player's name <laughs> or maybe I gave the wrong stat, which honestly one in a thousand fans will recognize and they'll hit you up on Twitter and make you feel like you'd have no clue what you're talking about. But uh, I, I love those, those, those tidbits that you give of advice and information. Last question before I let you go, since, um, I know you've you got a family that probably needs your help fixing something around the house or homework <laughs> help, just like I've been doing these last month or so. But you have a unique style that you've created at, at BYU. Um, you, the floor is open. It's spaced. There are some post-up opportunities that you take advantage. But because the floor is spaced, those are even easier to come by. You really value the three-point shot. You want to play up and down. Was there one coach that really helped mold that, or was it picking and choosing the best things that you like from different coaches? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a lot, right? So um, I, I think I've been really blessed. I've been so blessed. I mean, you know, Rick Pitino has been a huge influence on me in terms of the way to, he approached the game. Now, I can't – I don't have the juice to, to approach it exactly like he did, but it, there, hopefully, hopefully there's some fingerprints of it in, in my soul. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and from, from Larry Bird, who I played for, for two years. And, and of course, George Carl, you know, George Carl was one of the most courageous, daring, uh, coaches that I ever played for. And, um, and, and hopefully like, and then, and also stealing stuff from players, like, uh, the way you played would have, would have like, you would be an, kind of an archetypal player for how we want our guys to play in terms of keeping your dribble alive and, 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 and turn, you know, getting across the midline in the lane with a live dribble and, and, uh, and, and being completely unselfish and, and just looking for the right play every single time down the floor and actually turning down some uh, low percentage shots in the key at the rim to find better stuff on the perimeter. Right. Like, I mean, you, you actually, Man, I wish I could recruit you right now because you would crush it in our deal. Um, but listen, I've been really blessed. I'm not smart enough to to create anything, right? So what what I've been had the luxury of doing is 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 uh, is just being able to just listen to and be around great coaches and great players. I've learned so much from great players, also, and uh, we're just trying to like regurgitate it the best we can and. Uh, we'll be successful as long as I get really good players that can make me look good. And uh, it's, it sure is fun, though, man. It's really fun. And, and listen, you're Zags. I mean, listen, there's no better coach in America than Coach Few. Uh, I, I, I'll tell you, there might just be a, a handful of coaches in the history of college basketball that are in the same uh, rarefied air as Coach Few, right? And, and so we try to steal a lot of stuff from him um, for sure. Uh, a lot of basic looks and, and that's what you do you just find people that are great at the craft and you try and steal it and emulate it I, I completely agree with you players steal moves from other players coaches steal philosophies sets uh, to improve upon their own craft and 
you know, that's what we're trying to do with Scoreboard Live Washington today right now with our podcast is, is just bring another piece of advice from, from an expert in their field such as you. So, Mark, your Washington ties, you will always be a Husky in some regard, as will I, I'm sure. Uh, but we really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you uh, for joining us. And I will be sitting front and center on my couch with popcorn and a soda and no distractions when the rest of this last dance gets released, that's for sure. Let's go, baby. Enjoy it. Hey, stay safe, Dan. It's great to see you, man. Thank you, Coach. Hey, brother. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.